Amen. All right, well, if you guys have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Psalm, uh, chapter 53 this morning, and we're going to continue um, walking, uh, our, our walking to the cross, if you will, uh, through the Psalms, and in our, in our series entitled Psalms and the Cross. And let me, um, let me, let me begin this morning by, uh, by, by calling you guys to think for just a moment about, uh, now this might shock you, okay, but we're going to think about Shakespeare for a moment. Okay, think about Shakespeare. Uh, specifically, think about the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. Okay? And for those of you, most of you know the story. We had to do it um, in school, most of us. But for those that are forgotten or didn't have to do it in school, uh, Romeo and Juliet is a story of two feuding families. Um, you know, for those of us uh, that don't know Romeo and Juliet, think the Hatfields and McCoys. Okay? That's what's happening here is two families are feuding. Uh, and each family, Romeo's from one family, Juliet's from another family, they fall in love. And of course, the feuding family keeps uh, them from being together, right? And, and, and the, the hate that one another's family have for one another um, is separated because, or their love is separated because of that. And so what happens is Juliet comes up with this plan where she's going to take something and it's going to cause her to appear to be dead. Right? And she sends a message to Romeo. I was like, listen, I'm not really dead. It's a plan. I've got this great plan so that we can be together and our families will stop feuding. Romeo doesn't get the message. And when he goes to see Juliet, he thinks she's dead. And so upon seeing her, Romeo, then what? He kills himself. And of course, as fate would have it, Juliet awakes from her fake death, sees that Romeo is dead, and she pulls out his dagger and she kills himself. That was the completely wrong response that Juliet had planned for that situation. That did not go according to her plan. It did not go according to her instruction to Romeo. That is a very small picture of what we're going to talk about this morning in man's wrong response to God's instructions. So if you remember when we started this series a couple of weeks ago, we looked at... um, we looked at the law or God's law and how what it means in Scripture, the meaning of the word law in Scripture is actually God's instructions and how we have to differentiate and allow ourselves to understand God's law in the light of God's instructions. Otherwise, we'll simply view it as a list of do's and don'ts. But that's not what it's designed for. It's designed, the law is designed to be instructions for our good, to help. And then last week, we looked at man's right response and how the right response, man's right response to God's instruction is worship. And worship is the act of continually giving oneself to God in light of who he is, what he has done, as has been described and defined and instructed to us through Scripture. Right? And so, unfortunately, we can't just stay where we ended last week. Right? A lot of things go unanswered if we just say, hey, God's instruction is good. It's meant to be good, um, but we don't see it that way all the time. But it's meant to be good, and the right response to God's instruction is worship. I wish we could stay there, but we can't. Because it leaves the pain of death and sickness and decay and betrayal unanswered, unaddressed even. And so this morning, in Psalm 53, we're going to see man's wrong response. 
And remember, or excuse me, this morning, here is the lie. This is the lie that we're, we've been combating both last week and this week as we look at man's response to God's instruction. And the, 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 the lie is this. The lie is that I can respond to God and his instructions in any way that I choose and still be okay. That's the lie. The lie comes in the form of saying, you know what? What's right for those people isn't necessarily right for you. You don't, you don't have to believe what they say. You don't have to believe God. That's good for them, but it's not good for you. Like, that's a lie. That's the way the lie comes in and it attacks us. And, and, it, and it, what, it, what the lie does is it, it manipulates us and it massages us so that we will end up turning our eyes from the truth, from seeing God's instruction as good for us and therefore causing us to worship in adoration, and it causes us to rebel against him. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So here's the truth. The truth is that God has prescribed a way that is right for man to respond to his instructions so that we can forever be in his presence. And that's the truth that we've been looking at last week and this week, is that there is a way that God has prescribed not describe, but prescribe, meaning think of when you go to the doctor and you get a prescription. The doctor writes out, here's what you're to take. Here's when you're to take it. Don't take more of it in this amount of time because that could be bad, right? Like this is what God has done through Scripture is he has prescribed a way that we are to respond to his instructions. He's prescribed the right way for us to worship. And so this morning, unfortunately, we're going to spend time looking at the opposite of that. So let's read Psalm 53 together. I'll pray over the message, and then we'll walk through uh, this text this morning. Psalm 53, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil, no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God. There they are in great terror where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad." God, I pray this morning that you would um, illuminate to our hearts the wrong way to respond to you, God. Lord, and I pray as, as what's true is that there are ways in which every person in here wrongly responds to you and your instruction, God. And the sadness is, God, is that our hearts are so wicked that most times we're blind to the ways that we wrongly respond to you and your instructions. And so I pray this morning that through the work of your spirit, God, that you would uh, reveal those things to us. God, that we would be reminded of the goodness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, that your strength would push us to pursue, or to uh, persevere, God. Amen. So last week, because God has prescribed a, white, a, a way that is right for man to respond to his instructions, then we also need to spend time looking at the wrong, see what the wrong response looks like. Because as I shared with you last week, the truth is that there are many people around the world today gathering in what they think is the name of God. There are many people throughout the course of history. We look at history, even if we look at Christian history, it is, it is just um, full of men doing horrible things 
in the name of God. And that's no different than what we see in our world today. And so if we are going to respond rightly, then we need to know also what the wrong response looks like. And in a word, as we summed up the right response last week in one word that was worship, in a word, the wrong response to God's instruction is simply rebellion. It's rebellion. Now let me give you a definition of what rebellion is, and we'll see this in Psalm 51, excuse me, Psalm 53, verse 1. But here's what we mean when we say rebellion. Rebellion is a heart-level willing denial of God's existence or resistance to following God's instructions. And you see, it's important for us to make the distinction that it's not just a denial of His existence, although that is a form of rebellion, but it is also a resistance to following His instructions. It takes on two faces, if you will. There are many people who uh, agree with the existence of God, but they're life and their ways and their heart are resistant to following his instructions. And here's the other thing that it's reason for us to make that distinction is because us as believers, people who not only um, believe in the existence of God, but, but at, a, at a heart level, we've acknowledged and exalted the existence of God. But yet there are still times where we too, as Christians, can fall into rebellion against God. And that is the thing that, that, that brings us all together and puts us all on level playing field. And so in Psalm 53, 1, it says, The fool says in his heart there is no God and no one does good. And this is where we see this definition of rebellion. The psalmist defined rebellion for us. The fool says where? In the public square? In his mind? In his teachings? No, the fool says in his heart. There is no God. You see, opposition to God is a heart-level issue. We have, there, there has to be a, a time, a point in time where a man or a woman, where their heart is changed and made new in order for rebellion to be overcome. So it's a heart level. The fool says in his heart. What does the fool say? That there is no God. So rebellion is a heart-level, willing denial of God's existence. You see, we don't rebel against God because we accidentally fall into it. All of our rebellion against God is willing. We're happy to do it. We love to do it. And then Psalm 53.1 ends by saying that there was no one who does good. And this gives us the, the last part of our definition where it's also a resistance to following God's instructions. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. There is no one who does good. Now, here's the cultural lie that we believe about rebellion. We think it's cool. Right? Let's just take a moment and look at American history and, 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 and movie stars. Who are the cool ones? The rebellious ones. Right? Those are the ones that, and there's a very real sense to where we identify with that so much because our heart, too, loves to rebel. We want to be the rebellious one. We want to be the one that goes against the trends and, and the cultural mandates. I mean, look at our presidential cycle, uh, um, our presidential um, process right now. Two of the candidates, one on each side. This isn't a Republican-Democrat thing, but one on each side have all their momentum based on what? Rebelling against the establishment. 
All of their momentum has come from this idea of rebellion against an establishment, this going against what has been. We idolize the rebellious. Our hearts and our lives bask in being and not being told what to do. And when we are told what to do, although sometimes we will still do what we're supposed to do, but in our heart we're still resisting it. There's a story of a little boy, he was three years old, jumping up and down on his bed, and his mom comes into his room and she says, son, stop jumping on your bed. So he gets down off the bed, she goes out of the room, and a few minutes later, as we have all experienced who have kids, she hears a noise. What is the noise? It's the kid jumping on the bed again, right? And so the mom comes back in the room and says, son, I told you not to jump on your bed anymore. Stop jumping on your bed. So the kid gets down off of his bed, mom leaves the room. A few minutes later, the same thing happens again. And so finally she goes in and goes, son, I told you, stop jumping on your bed. And he sits down on his bed and he folds his arm and goes, fine, I'm not jumping on my bed, but in my heart, I'm still jumping on my bed. And this is why rebellion is a heart. It's not about behavior. It's not about behavior or outward conformity. It's about the, the, the condition and, and the position of the heart before God. Is, is it a humble heart that says, God, you exist. God, you are greater than me. God, your ways are right. I delight in your law, like King David said. Or is a heart of pride that says, God's not real. I'm going to find a way to, to try and explain away his existence, or I'm at least, I might not deny the existence of God, but I'm at least going to rebel and not say that God's ways are right. I mean, come on, uh, sex outside of marriage, how is that a bad thing? That hurts nobody. Those are the lies. That's the rebellion of our heart, trying to find a way to justify outside of God. We don't try and reconcile it with God, but we find a way to justify What's going on outside of God himself and his instructions? So this morning, what I want to do is I want to share three truths about rebellion with you. All three of them are from Psalm 53. And the first thing is simply that, the first truth about rebellion is simply that all are rebellious or all have rebelled. Psalm 53.1, he says that there is no one who does good. Psalm 53.3, he says that they have all fallen away. There is none who does good, not even one, and in Psalm 53, 4, he says, those who work evil with no, all, no knowledge, and they hurt my people as they eat bread. And what that is, is remember, the Psalms are poetry, right? And so what that is, is there's this picture of as easy it is for us to sit down and eat a piece of bread. It takes no effort at all for us to eat a piece of bread. That is how easy it is for evil people to do wickedness. It's as easy as, as you and I sitting down and having a piece of bread. There's no opposition. Bread isn't tough. It doesn't fight against you. It's not hard to tear. It's soft. It tears easy. It chews easy. If you don't have teeth, you can just gum it, and you'll be okay. But that's how easy it is. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says that, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. So God looks down on the earth and he sees that not only is every intent of the human heart evil, but it's always evil. It doesn't break. 
There is no time where the human heart outside of God's having touched it and transformed it and regenerated it that does good. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this truth about rebellion, that all have rebelled or that all are rebellious, is not only a major theme in Scripture, I should say, because it is such a major theme in Scripture from beginning to end, it is also a foundational belief to Christianity. So so in other words, to deny that all men are sinners or all men have rebelled against God is to deny Christianity at its core. Without sin, there is no need to save. without saying or believing that all men have rebelled against God, then there is no way to say that some don't need salvation, but some do. Because, see, what happens in our hearts is we want to take ourselves, and we might say, yeah, you know, I've, okay, I've, 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 I've told a little white lie. It wasn't a major lie. It's not like I was uh, uh, in front of Congress, right, defending my actions, as some people lie. And so, therefore, we minimize our own lie. Right? Yeah, okay, you know, I really hate this person, but I, I haven't really, I haven't killed them. Like, don't I get points for self-control? Like, that was my plea yesterday with our dog. <laughs> self-control. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. Because we know that Jesus said that if you've hated a man, then you've committed murder in your heart. If you've looked at a woman lustfully, then you've committed adultery. All have rebelled. Now here's what's scary, is that this rebellion takes on many forms. Many forms. We see some of the most rebellious people in Scripture that we see, and we can see this today too, are the people who we think are good. You see, rebellion takes on the form, it could be the open denying of God and His existence. It could be the open rebellion against his instruction. Like, those ones are easy to recognize, right? And what we want to do is we want to say, well, you know what? I believe that God exists, and hey, I'm here today, so that I'm following his instruction. But it can also take on the willing worship of creation, where you begin to worship your children above God, who gave them to you as a gift to steward. You could worship your spouse that God has given to you not to satisfy your every need and desire, but to help you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ and to give a picture to the world of the way that God loves His people. You could worship and find your identity in your job. If you lose your job, you're no longer anybody. What are you going to do? Your whole life is over because your job is gone. So it takes on the form of willing worship of creation. And and this is where our heart just kind of slowly drifts into this type of rebellion against God. Tim Keller says this in The Prodigal God. In talking about another form that our rebellion against God takes on. He says, to truly become a Christian, we must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. Pharisees only repent of their sins, but Christians repent for the very roots of their righteousness too. 
We must learn how to repent of the sin under all other sins and under all our righteousness. The sin of seeking to be our own Savior and Lord. We must admit that we've put our ultimate hope in both our wrongdoing and our right doing. See, that was the problem with the Pharisees is they did not see themselves as evil. They saw people who didn't keep the law like they did or who didn't live according to their standard, right? The people who didn't live to their standard, those are the sinners who need to be saved, but we're good. We do everything right. Which is funny that it's easy for us to declare that when we're the ones who declare what right is, Right? They weren't being right according to God's law. They were being right according to their own human traditions and what they wanted. So rebellion not only takes on this idea of just outright kind of, you know, just in-your-face rebellion against God. I don't love you. I'm not following you. I'm not doing what you say. But rebellion also takes on the form of our hearts of wanting to do right and therefore thinking that our right is what saves us. Our doing right is what makes us better than other people. And that is rebellion against God's instruction. And that's where as Christians, as a church, we have to be careful that in our missional communities and in our loving and serving the orphaned and the sick and, and the homeless, that we don't begin to think that we're better than other people or other churches that don't do these things. And therefore, we begin to set a standard by which we judge all Christians. Because we're not the standard. The only reason we can do any truly good work is because of the good work that God first did in us. And because of that good work that was done to us without us deserving it, we can then go do good elsewhere. You see, good work is not, our good works are not a form of keeping God's favor. Our good works are not a form of staying in God's family and keeping our salvation. And so we have to be careful when we're arguing with our spouses or our boss or we're not wanting to do, or even when we do do what they're asking us to do as Christians, what is the heart behind doing what we're asked to do? Is it so that we can view ourselves and with the hope of our boss better than the other people, the other coworkers? Or is it because we know that God has worked hard and well on our behalf and has called us to do all things unto himself? And so therefore, it doesn't matter if our boss ever recognizes how hard we work. Because we're not working for our boss. We're working for our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first truth about rebellion is that all people have rebelled. Now here's the second truth. Here's the sobering truth. This is worse than the first truth. The second truth is that God rejects the rebellious. You realize that? There is no standard by which a rebellious person in their own work, in their own doing good or covering their rebelliousness, that God accepts them. God rejects the rebellious. Psalm 53 verse 5 simply says, God has rejected them. Straightforward. It's right there. And he talks about how God scatters their bones out on the dry land. And and, and in commenting on this verse, John MacArthur says this. He says that perhaps nothing was more disgraceful to a nation at war than to have the bones of its dead army scattered over the land rather than buried. So what this psalm is saying is that this is how God treats the rebellious. 
It's as bad as when an army scatters the bones of the dead opposition all over the land for all to see rather than respectfully bearing it. See, this is the part of God that we don't like to focus on or talk about a lot. But here's the truth. The truth is that that eternity is for everyone. It's for those who worship and those who rebel. There's a very real eternity for those who rebel. The truth, or the, or the, the, the uh, proposed truth, that in the end, all end up in heaven. It might take you a lot longer to get there than other people. It's a lie. That's not true. Love does win, but it doesn't win by ignoring the rebellious. It doesn't win by ignoring the penalty, the just penalty that is due for the sins of man. Love wins because it overcame sin. Love wins because it has the power to forgive sin and transform the rebellious heart to make someone who was no longer, to make someone who was rebellious now a worshiper. But the rebellious are rejected by God. Think of back in the garden, let's trace it through Scripture, Adam and Eve in the beginning. They rebelled against God's instruction, and what happened? They were cast out from God's presence. They were cast out. From there, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. Cain rebelled against God's instruction. What happened? God cast him out of his presence again. He said, you will go, you'll wander. Noah in the flood. That was the commentary of Genesis 6 where God looks to the earth and sees that the hearts of men are constantly evil, only continually evil. So God wiped away the evil. He took it out of his presence. Look at the way that God commanded the Israelites to go about war with their enemies. Because evil cannot exist. It cannot continue to be in the presence of God. God rejects the rebellious. And this, again, is where we have to be careful because our good works could very well be... Our self-righteousness is rebelliousness. And a life that is continually self-righteous is a life that does not rely on the righteousness of God for our salvation. Now, here's the third truth about rebellious, rebellion. The third truth is that God alone can restore the rebellious. See, there is good news. There is good news. But the good news is not found in us working harder or trying better. uh, uh, Psalm 53, verse 6, he says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. Zion is a picture of the city of Jerusalem. That's what it means when you read the word Zion. It's Jerusalem. When God, now he doesn't say if God, but he says when God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. You see, man's wrong response to God's instruction is rebellion. So if all are rebellious and God rejects the rebellious, then how is it that any of us can worship like we talked about last week? It's because God alone can overcome rebellion. God has the power. The power to transform the depth and the evil of the human heart resides alone in God. 
Let me run through some texts for you in the New Testament about this. Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all, us all our trespasses. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. When the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's church should have just declared amen. You see, this is why Christianity is good news. This is what separates Christianity from any other worldview or religion on earth. It is this. It is the good news that, yes, we are all sinners. However, God did not leave us in our state of sin, in our state of rebelliousness, but he acted. He acted in a way that covered our sins once and for all for those who believe in his acting, for those who believe in the work that he did for them. You see, any other worldview or religion is going to say, it's going to start with us, is say that in order to obtain holiness or salvation or cleanliness, we have to work. We have to wash ourselves. We have to take off our old dirty garments, cast them aside, put on new garments. But it's impossible because all have rebelled. And until it says right here um, in, in Titus that we have been born again by the washing of regeneration. That word regeneration, it gives us the picture of new birth. God has caused us to be born again and renewed us with the Holy Spirit. Until that happens, none of our works are good. None of them are good. See, Christianity alone claims that God moved towards us. Christianity alone claims that God has satisfied the wrath that our sins were due. Christianity alone claims that God serves our needs before he calls us to serve him. You see, Christianity alone says that God, in His power, has moved, made us a new being, taken the old away, raised the dead, and therefore the good that we do is now from a place of newness. Christianity does not say that I have to do all these good new things so that I will become new. Christianity is a fundamental belief that when God regenerated our hearts and when He caused us to be born again by His own great mercy that he made us new. You see, in that moment and forevermore, we are no longer rebellious. We are now worshipers. We are no longer idolaters. We are now forever worshipers. So since God has made us new and made us worshipers, let us worship. We are no longer in bondage to where we have to rebel. See, we inherited that from Adam. But Paul makes the argument of how much more than to those who believe inherit from Christ Jesus, the perfect Adam, who never rebelled, who never did wrong. In 1908, the Times asked a number of 
uh, authors to write on the topic, What is Wrong with the World? And G.K. Chesterton, who is a theologian, he was one of the men that was asked to respond to this question, what is wrong with the world? And now, as I propose that to you, we all have a starting point, like, right? Like, we're already forming our email responses right now in our minds, right? Of like, here's all the things, right? Here's all the things that are wrong with the world, right? And you look at our political candidates. They all have a theory on what's wrong with the world. Some of them say immigration is the worst thing in the world. That's where all the problems start from, Right? Some of them say it's government spends too much. Some of them say government doesn't spend enough. Everybody has this worldview. And so you can imagine, even back in 1908, the wide array of responses that this magazine got to this question, what's wrong with the world? But G.K. Chesterton, his answer, the answer that he submitted was the shortest. He simply wrote this, Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Now, he did not mean that he had committed every crime on earth. Right? We'd be fools to think that that was the point of his response. He was not saying, hey, you got me. (laughs) Come get me. I was the third gunman on the grassy knoll, right? Like, it was me. Like, that's not what he's saying. His point was that what was wrong with this world is that human beings are sinners. That's what's wrong with this world. Human beings are sinners. So as we move into our last two songs together this morning, let me ask you two questions. Go ahead and please stand with me. I'm going to ask two questions. And I'm going to ask you to contemplate these songs at a heart level while we sing. Excuse me, I'm going to ask you to contemplate these two questions while we sing these last two songs together. The first question is this. How do you view God's law? Be honest with yourself. How do you view God's law? Do you view it as a restrictive list of do's and don'ts? Or do you view it as God's fatherly care and instructions for us so that we would live a life that is fulfilled and blessed and happy and purposeful? So that's question number one. How do you view God's law? Here's the second question. How do you respond to his instructions? How do you respond to his law? Is it an outright rebellion? Or is it in worship? So if you'll bow your heads, before I pray, here's the thing. Here here is the power of the God that the Bible proclaims. You could have walked into this room completely rebellious against God's law, never having truly worshipped Him. You can walk out a worshiper, not only today and now, but for eternity. You see, God has provided the work needed to rescue us from our rebelliousness. We don't have to give money to receive it, right? We don't have to, you know, take communion uh, every day of the week. We don't have to always be here when the doors are open. We simply have to believe what we've looked at these first three weeks. And that is one, that I am a sinner. 
And two, that God is good and His instructions are for my good and that He has made a way for my sins to be covered. And the way that we do that is simply by faith. We believe. We believe that God's own Son, Jesus, came and paid the penalty for our sins. In that moment that we believe, I should say this, once we have believed, we receive that gift in faith, meaning that God has already regenerated our hearts. We are already worshipers. So let's worship Him together.